Stang as we were sitting through today. It's been quite a challenging morning so far, hasn't it? I wish I could tell you that I wasn't going to challenge you this morning, but uh, I can't promise that. But it was, um, I, I remember, not really something to do with my preacher, I'll get to that in a second, but I remember hearing an interview with Pastor Stephen Furtick, who I'm a fan of, and he was interviewing uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes, the, the Bishop T.D. Jakes, and it was Bishop T.D. Jakes, they were talking about this idea of, we often pray for chairs and tables, and Bishop T.D. Jakes was saying, God's like, well, I gave you trees, now sorry for the environmentals, but his point he was trying to make was that we so often pray to God to do something, and God's like, well, I gave you all the creativity, I gave you all of the abilities, I've given you the gifts and talents, and so please, if you do have a willingness, a desire to grow, please join a maintenance team or speak to Calum. At this moment, you're not committing to doing anything, really. Uh, Calum will decide what you do, apparently. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but please, we really do need your support. And uh, in that, but for anything in life, we can so often pray to God, and God's like, well, I've given you all of these gifts and talents. Go and use them for his glory. But it's so great to be with you this morning, and this has been quite a great week for me. I saw Michael Bibley live on Thursday. I thought I could, how many Michael Bibley songs can I fit into my preach uh, this morning? That was quite a high for me. I loved seeing Michael. I went to see A United, my football team yesterday, and they won. <laughs> Come on. Mark Selby, my favourite snooker player, is in the final of the World Championships. Come on. And uh, I didn't stay up all night watching it, I promise. But the, I can honestly say there is no greater honour or feeling than being here with God's people this morning. It's the highlight of my week. This week I'm even going to AOG conference as a pastor and I'll see friends from all over the country. But it's still not as exciting as being with you this morning here, God's people. And uh, I really do mean that. And as a church, we've been kind of looking through um, our church kind of vision, a new one, which is to stretch, strengthen and send people locally, nationally and globally. That's our new church vision, I will, we will keep saying it until you get it, and then once you've got it, we'll still continue to keep saying it for you, but we've been looking at that, and Kerry preached a great message last week, and about who we are, and if you didn't catch it, check it out in the podcast, or find it on Facebook or YouTube, because it's worth watching, but you see, we want to be people who are sent into our worlds to make a difference, it's that simple. You see, sending is not just about going to Malawi or mission strips, though we love those, and but actually, it's just recognizing that you and I have been placed by God in this moment in history, and he's given us opportunities with our neighbors, with our colleagues, with friends in our locality to share the good news of Jesus with them. It's that simple. You and I are both called to do that. You, we've got other callings and things he wants us to do, but ultimately, when all is said and done, we are called to tell people about Jesus and be sent into that. And as I was preparing for this message, I really feel that God laid on my heart a passage and the New Testament, it's in the book of Luke, and it's a very famous passage called the Good Samaritan. You can find it in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, and I'm going to read them and it'll come on the screen, but I really feel in my heart this morning, God gave me some stuff to share from this that will hopefully challenge all of us to recognize what we're all about and what we are aiming to do. But it says this, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you'll live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? 
Jesus replied with a story. Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along and when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. When he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes, now go and do the same. Just to provide some context here, there were religious people who basically didn't like Jesus because he was smarter than them, he was brighter than them, and he challenged their biases and their preconceived notions. So they were always trying to test him, to trip him up. But that's when you're trying to trip someone up who knows everything, then it's kind of, not only does he know everything, but he sees through everything you're trying to do. And so he gives them this poser because back in those times, pretty much, they were trying to justify the idea that, well, my neighbor is just someone who looks like me, talks like me, acts like me. It was the jungle book. I want to walk like you talk. But that was who they, so he was trying to say, well, I look after people who look like me and my friends, so therefore, I'm doing it right. So Jesus, knowing that this was their motive, pretty much spoke right through all of their hypocrisy and their self-importance and reminded them that actually your neighbor is everyone on planet Earth. He literally, everyone is my neighbor. And he went so far as to say that actually if you can't show mercy and kindness to the people who maybe you've got prejudice against, we all have them, or the people you dislike, the people who are hard to love, the people who are despised, as he said about this Samaritan, then in actual fact, then you're not loving your neighbor. In the parable, we find lots of different types of people, we find the, the religious people who see the issue, they assess the situation and they walk on by because they've decided, they've made the decision that actually this isn't worth the cost, this isn't worth the risk, this isn't worth the energy, something bad might happen to me and it's just not worth it and they walked right on past. But the first person we actually find in the story is this poor man who we don't know much about him apart from he's been beat up, left broken on the side of the road and abandoned to die. We don't know how he got himself into this situation. He might have started the fight for all we know. He might have not started the fight. Who We literally are giving nothing. All we really know is that in the world's eyes, for all intents and purposes, he has nothing to offer. He has literally nothing. He's half dead. He's got no clothes. He's got no money. He's got no resource. He's got nothing that he can possibly offer anyone. He's been rejected. We don't even know whether he's conscious or whether he's unconscious. All we know is that he's completely defenseless. But as I was thinking about this, I, I think what can be, if I was looking at it from my perspective, and please forgive me, maybe you've got a different view, but for the purpose of the parable, I think he was probably conscious. He may have been half dead, but he's fully aware of these people that have walked on by him. You see, the two people who should have known better, the ones who were the best qualified or the best equipped, these people who knew God, who claimed to love God, who were religious people, who should have had compassion, they walked right on past. And how this man must have felt as he sees help coming and then it just walked 
on down the road, that would have just made them feel even more distraught. Because they looked at everything and they could have saved this man, but they just walked on by. They decided it wasn't worth the risk, the fear, the challenge. We don't know why they did, but this man had no way of fighting or defending himself. He had no way of saving himself or rescuing himself. But then came this Samaritan man. Now, I don't know much about the, the socio-economic political situation in this story, but I'd imagine this man saw the Samaritan and thought, oh no, he's my enemy, he's coming to finish the job, I'm done for. And yet this Samaritan who had absolutely no reason, he'd probably had a million one reasons, because actually I think if you read it properly, the Samaritans were probably the ones who were prejudiced against. So they had like the, the lower hand. So he, the one who had every right to look at this man as an aggressor, as someone who had no right to care for me. Why should I bother about you? But he saw him and he had compassion. He looked at his natural enemy and he assessed the whole situation the same way they did. He saw this man's beaten and broken. Clearly he didn't do it to himself. He has no clothes. He has no way of like offering me anything. And yet he stepped into the situation and not only that, he brought light into this dark, dark place. But he doesn't just say, oh, how can I help you? He physically picks him up, puts him on his own mode of transport. He carries him to the nearest Premier Inn or Holiday Inn Express or other hotels are available, I'm sure. But he, he doesn't just take him there and dump him at the door. He goes a bit further than that and says, look... This man's clearly broken. Can you look after him? He put him in the hands of someone who was best equipped to look after him and say, listen, whatever the cost is, if it's more, I'll pay it when I return. And I thought, what an incredible picture this presents. Think about what it would look like in today's society. Let's look at the practical elements. We leave church today. We drive to wherever we're driving. We walk down the street and there's a person beat up on the side of the road. That's the equivalent of us picking them up, putting them in our car, driving them probably to a hospital and rather than a hotel, but you get the gist. Driving them, saying to the hospital, by the way, see when they're better, can you like, I'll pick them up, I'll take them home, I'll feed them. Like, could you imagine doing that? Now, I'm sure some of you maybe would do that, but like, that is mental. That level of what this man done. We have no way of knowing whether the Samaritan was going, whether he went out of his way. He probably, obviously did. He didn't intend to go to this place. And I'm reading this, and I really believe God laid in my heart that she did that this is an incredible picture of what it was like to be sent. That we have the opportunity to a world that is so broken, that are in a dark place, that they have no way of saving or helping themselves, and we can be the people who can see the situations around us in our neighborhoods and our families and our communities. And we have the opportunity to either step in like the Samaritan or we can pass on by. You see, there's always a risk involved. This Samaritan could have easily been beat up. He could have lost his donkey, lost him. He could have lost, he had no way of knowing what was going to happen. It could have been an ambush, for all we know. But I just thought this was such a beautiful picture of what it would look like if we recognized we were sent by God. This man was used in this story to save his life, but not only that, but to bring him into fullness. It wasn't enough to just save him, but he brought him into full restoration. And as I was reading this, it was such an incredible picture and an invitation for you and I 
to do the same. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. We can't save anyone. Jesus saves people. But, but Jesus uses people like us and the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, in people's lives and in their hearts. And we can win people for Jesus. See, he sent his disciples out. You see, once Jesus sends, once Jesus saves someone, we then have a responsibility on us to become disciple makers. Jesus, when he was speaking to his disciples, says, go into all the nations and make disciples. And disciples then make disciples who make disciples. And it's all about being sent. You see, the thing about this is the responsibility lands on us. Jesus takes responsibility for saving people, and thank you for that, because he went through the cross so that we didn't have to. But then he passed on some responsibility. He said, you'll do greater things than me. Why? Because he was one. The Holy Spirit at work in him was one person, but look how many of us there are. We can hear stories of good Samaritans, and we don't even know the Samaritan's name. We, we never actually find out the name of the Samaritan, and yet we hear charities now called the Samaritans that are set up in honor of this person and a story that Jesus told us. And as I was thinking about this, I, was, I really got this revelation, and I've heard it a million times before, but you know that way when you read something and then it just becomes real in a moment, that I was the person at the side of the road. There was a time in my life when I was in this dark place and I wasn't physically beat up, but in my mental, my spiritual sense, I was in a dark place and I had no way of getting out. I was broken and abandoned. I was rejected. I I had no way of saving myself. I was completely defenseless. And thankfully, there was a man called Jesus who stepped into my darkness and he picked me up and he carried me and he paid a cost and he invested his time and his energy and he still does to carry me from darkness into his light. But once I'd got there, it wasn't enough. Why? Because I was still hurting. I was still broken. But guess what? People around me, they encouraged me. They prayed for me. They spoke life over me. They helped me to grow and to flourish into who God is calling me to be. I'm looking at some of them in the room and some of them aren't around anymore because they've gone on to be with glory. But if it hadn't been for them shaping me and discipling me, then I would never be in a place where I can be sent to do what God wants me to do. Now, I have the honor to actually carry other people and to shape them so that they can be sent and we can all make disciples I wasn't going to say this but it came to me this morning and like Jeanette Greer was a legend I didn't know her particularly well like I'd saw her at church but I didn't know much about her and her face like her smile would light up her entire face and she would encourage me but I found out actually fairly recently that when my grandparents my grand and papa who are no longer here when they moved to Annan she took in my dad as a landlady because he didn't want to move to Annan why would you sorry if you're from Annan and um, but she took him in and I thought that what was she doing it wasn't just being a nice person what was she doing she was being a good Samaritan and saying well this is he calls her the landlady but I mean would you have someone move in even if they were paying dig money and I don't know if he was or not it's still weird to have someone in your house you still have to do more shopping you have to like function in the house and, but what you do and she was creating space to try and invest and, and who knows what impact that could have on Pastor Jim who knows if he would be the man that he is today if it wasn't for that personal life and that's a tiny little picture but we have an invitation that we can be Samaritans to get alongside people and say, well, I'm going to help disciple you and carry your burdens. Why? Because there'll be a day when you're able to walk in your own strength and you become a disciple. Maybe. And until that day, I am sent to do that. There was a time when I was in a dark place and Jesus stepped in and then people got alongside me to encourage me. He stepped from heaven to earth into my brokenness, my failures, my mistakes. 
And he stepped out from glory so that we could step into glory. He, just like this Samaritan, he assessed my entire situation. (laughs) He looked at the darkness, the brokenness, the pain. He saw what was going to be the cross and ultimately thought, you know what, they're worth it. Nothing else on planet earth can save me. Your money ain't going to save you. Your health isn't going to save you. Like, your family ain't going to save you. The only thing that can really save us in this life is Jesus. He's the only one who assessed the whole situation and stepped in and says, you know what, I will carry the cross so that you don't have to. But more than that, he set me free so that I can have peace, freedom, healing, and life in all of its fullness. It can only be found in him. He was willing to pay the cost when I was defenseless and I couldn't do anything else about it. He was good to me even when I was his foe. Still his love fought for me. Only Jesus can do that. But then it comes a time when people, he saved us and we get to encourage others. And Basically, <laughs> this is a funny story but not that funny. Recently I went up a, a, a hill walk, we'll call it. Now, Jack, when Jack says we're going on a hill walk, what he really means is we're going up a mountain. <laughs> and, uh, so if Jack asks you, do you want to go on a hill walk, just clarify. Is it a hill walk like the top of the drive? That's kind of a hill, like, you know what I mean? There's a, and then there's a mountain. If I have to use my hands and my feet at the same time, that's a mountain climb. But we went up um, Ben Vorlick and... It was tough. It was very difficult. It was really hard. Um, and we got to the top eventually, and, uh, and it was great. It was a stunning view of Loch Lomond. Turns out it's quite cold, even when it's sunny uh, up there. And, but on the way back down, one of our party decided to um, get down really much quicker than everyone else because they slipped. And I'll be honest, they slipped, but not only did they slip, they fell about. 12 to 15 foot into a crevice between two rocks and a cliff edge, back first, completely defenseless, and it was dark. Now, from my perspective, I was standing at the edge here, so if this is where he fell, it was much higher than this, I could see the fall into the dark place, but the rest of the group were standing here, along with two randomers who were not part of our group who were just sitting watching the whole thing, and they fell into here, back first, into the darkness. Then there was Jack at the far side, and there was me here, and there was others there. And for a moment, that person was, I thought they were, but I didn't really think they were dead, because I could see the whole thing, kind of. But from everyone else's perspective, they were, he, they were, he was gone. And in that moment, there was two spectators, three people in our group, myself and Jack, and the two spectators who would have been more than able to help. In fact, they might have been quite useful in this situation because they were like eight foot five and would have been useful. They just sat and watched. Then Jack, without thinking, just jumped straight into the darkness and helped a friend out. And I was thinking about this situation. I was like, thank you, this friend, for making me an image to go with this preach. But they'd fallen into that place with no way of getting out themselves. Thankfully, they were okay, um, I think. They're still here. And, um, but Jack, without thinking, he became like Jesus in that moment where he just jumped into the darkness. Now, Jesus done it with thinking, and Jack did think about it as well because he'd been up before. But he literally stepped into a defenseless, dark situation, and he brought them into the light. But you see, that could have been the end of the story. But it became quite clear to me and to everyone else, this person is not getting off this mountain if we just abandon them to walk. And we went on the way down the descent, they put their weight 
on me and we worked as a team to pretty much carry this person. Not physically, but they were kind of hobbling. And, but every time it got hard, they put all their weight on me. And I was like, oh no. So this side of my body. So and we, we were laughing and joking. And we basically encouraged ourselves until we got to the bottom of the mountain, back to the path. And they were then able to kind of walk themselves, really. But I just got this incredible sense of this picture of there was a time when they needed to be carried and supported and encouraged and to be equipped. And there's some times in life where you will need to be carried and supported and the, the weight of life can get on us sometimes. And there's going to be people who come into church who we've been sent, they will come to church and they will be so broken, they will be so messed up, they will carry so much weight and ultimately Jesus takes the weight. But there's a time when we just have to shape one another, to encourage one another, to speak life into one another. When it's difficult, when it's dark, when we're broken, when we're hurting, when we go through things in life, because life still happens, when you come to Jesus, things still hurt. Like, what is it? What doesn't kill you sometimes just hurts. <laughs> But actually, we can encourage one another and actually carry them until they're able to be in a place where they can walk themselves again. And it was just an incredible picture of this moment. And I didn't think of this at the time. At the time, I was thinking, oh, please don't fall again. Please don't. Because it was so messy. It seemed like there was no hope. But we just kept taking it step by step by step as we walked into the world. And we're going to go on another one. Because the reality is sometimes we fall, but we get back up and we go again. And I was thinking about the song, and the worship team can kind of come back up to give you a little bit of hope, but there's a song that we sing sometimes called Reckless Love, and it was just like, I've, I've loved the song and the imagery of it, and we can debate the theology if you want another time, but it was the first time, and it's because it was on a mountain, <laughs> probably helped. But I actually thought this picture of this moment with the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love. And it says in the, the bridge, there's no mountain he won't climb up coming after me. There's no lie he won't tear down, no wall he won't kick down coming after me. And the reality is Jesus is on everyone's case all the time. He's constantly trying to save people all the time. But we as his people and his church, we have the honor of being a vehicle that Jesus can use to shine light into the darkness, where we can step into people's darkness and literally carry them to the light. Because Jesus is the light. You see, you might be in here this morning and you found yourself or you find yourself in a really dark place. And I don't mean physically, it could be, but you just found yourself broken. You feel rejected, abandoned in life. I want to tell you this morning, there's a man named Jesus. who he can, He's desperate to step into your darkness and carry you into his light. But not just that, he wants to give you the the hope that's in him, peace, freedom, healing, everything that he can offer you. The world can't offer you. It can offer you for a while and it feels good, but it never lasts. Why? Because there's no power like the name of Jesus. He's never going to let you down. People will let you down. People can stand and watch as you fall into the darkness like those people sat and watched this situation and done nothing to help. But that's not my Jesus. My Jesus never sits in the sideline and watch. He always steps into whatever situation we go but for the rest of us in here who know who know Jesus we've had our moment where he stepped us into our darkness and brought us into his light but now he passes the responsibility on to us to carry others to help them to grow into everything that God calls them to be so that they can be sent and be someone who carries him it started with a question and the message and that and it's on the screen but who's my neighbor who is your neighbor? Who is that one person that you can 
carry along with him? Who is that person in your world that you can open up your time to, your energy, your house to, your finances to, the, the one who you can invest into so that they can grow into everything God calls them to be and be someone who is then sent? You see, we all have a responsibility to make disciples. And that doesn't mean we know everything. It just means that I'm following Jesus and you're not quite following Jesus as much as I am. So just follow me while I'm following Jesus and we'll just go on this journey with Jesus together. And there's a prayer of, every time I think about being sent in the reckless love of God, I'm always reminded of the, the movie Hacksaw Ridge, which I've quoted from before. And Desmond Dawes, who's a private and nothing in the army really, he's the lowest rank, he's not even got a gun. He's a medic. He was like, if the world's tearing itself apart, why can't I help heal it a little bit? And he comes to a moment in the battlefield, and it's a bit dramatized for the movie, but the gist of it's real. When he's abandoned, he's all alone. He's no idea what's going on. His army have retreated, so there's no way of getting down to them. The other army are over there, the Japanese at the time of World War II. And he just, he says this prayer, it's like, God, what do you want me to do? I can't hear you. And the darkness, the pit, and then all he hears is help, help, help. And he makes a decision in his mind. And in the movie, it's really dramatic and they do a great job. And he just says, well, all right then. And he goes and finds the person crying for help and he lowers them back down to safety. And then he just says this, Lord, help me find one more. And he does it. And at the end, I can't even remember the figure. I wish I had checked, but... It was ridiculous the number of people he single-handedly lowered on the rope and rescued from the army. And as I've said before, say it was, even if, I think it was more, but say it was 50. That's 50 people whose lives and their future generations' lives. Why? Because one person said, God, just help me find one more. Just help me find one more. And if we all just have that prayer in our hearts to say, God, just help me bring, help me to find one. Help me, send me to one. And help me journey with them. We have talked about the New Life Academy. Every kid who goes to that school, that's just one. But they represent a wider influence. And just like we carried that friend down the mountain, we can walk people with Jesus into everything they call them to be so that we can all be sent to wherever he sent us. And so can we stand if we're able? Because I'm going to close. And then we're going to sing Reckless Love, I hope. And then... Um, but if we're able to, just in this moment, I want to encourage you that if you're in here, you may be in a dark place, whether watching online or in this room, and you've never actually given Jesus the opportunity to step into your darkness and bring you into his light. I'm just going to say a really short prayer. And I want you to say it back to me, and you don't have to say it too loud, you don't have to shout it, but I just want to give you the opportunity right now in this moment to allow Jesus, this one who is the only one who can save, to just step into your situation, to into your life. And all the things that you carried before, you don't have to carry them anymore because he's willing to carry them for you. But it just goes like this. It says, Dear Jesus, thank you for stepping in to my darkness and carrying me to your light. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name. Like if you prayed that online or in this room, I want you to do something brave. I'm not going to embarrass you, but tell someone. If you're watching online, you can click on the link and there's a, 
at Buckingham Heights, I have decided. But if you're in here, go to the connection point or even someone you came with and say, I prayed that prayer. They would just love to pray with you as you go on that journey with Jesus. But I'm just going to pray a prayer now for everyone in here who we know that this is what we're sent for. We're here to be disciple makers. I'm going to pray for all of us that will be challenged, that they will always remember to just, we're always after one, just one more. Father God, I thank you for your overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love that stepped into my darkness and brought me into your light. Father God, I thank you for all the heroes of faith who have discipled me and shaped me, Father God, and who have helped equip me and to be in everything that you call me to be. And Father God, I pray for each one of us that we will continue to be that or that we will start to be that and we will look for opportunities where we are in our world to be sent, to share you with others, but also to get alongside others, Father God, to come to faith. Father God, that they can be shaped and discipled and equipped into everything that you call them to be. Help us to be the church that reaches, inspires, serves and equips for your glory as we look to stretch, strengthen and send locally, nationally and globally. Father God, we look forward to everything you're going to do in us and through us and we give you all of the praise and the glory because you're the only one who is worthy of it all. In Jesus' name, amen.